Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 39 of the That's So Mets podcast. And our New York Mets are 5-1 and one since our last show. So we are excited. Lots to talk about today, mostly from great pitching. And as always, we're going to answer all of your questions. So I'm your host, Connor Rogers, joined as always by my co-host, Joe DeMeo. And Joe, let's get right into it. Uh, since our last episode, I don't know if I want to call it a hot streak, but the Mets definitely picked up the pace because uh, they were finally allowed to play baseball games. So it's it's been exciting. It was nice that we got some somewhat consistent baseball. I mean, you still had a rain out and a snow out. A in snow be- out. And a the snow rare out, snow out. A rare snow out in between. But they're playing better baseball. There's no question. And, you know, the the mood of this pod was a little more pessimistic this time last week, where it's like, you know, things will probably be okay, but this isn't working. That's not working. And it was just a few, uh, you know, a couple days into the season. And lo and behold, now everyone's happy about the first place Mets. So it's a, it's a fun thing to do this podcast on a weekly basis because it's literally, we're literally going to be riding the roller coaster with all of you for the entire season every week. You know, if they have a good week, we're going to probably be happy and say great things. If they have a not so good week, we'll have things to complain about, but uh, it's, it's definitely fun to really be on the roller coaster, not just on my couch watching the game every night, but now that I have you know the platform here where we get to talk every week and ride the roller coaster with a bunch of people. Right, and as we always say, it's it's a long season. You know, baseball is a really long season. There is going to be highs, there is going to be lows, and it's just a matter of what end of the pendulum can you you know kind of keep it swinging. And for the Mets right now. It's been interesting to watch them because I don't think they are playing like the team that we expected yet, but here they are winning their last five of six games because notably the starting pitching has just been lights out and they've had some timely hitting, but not enough of it. And quite frankly, a lot of the superstar bats have not heated up yet. I mean, you've had... You know, a home run here or there from Pete Alonso. You've had, obviously, Brandon Nimmo is the rare exception. The guy can't even get out right now, whether it's walking, whether it is getting hits. Um, he's just been phenomenal. But, you know, Conforto started out really cold. I think Lindor's bat is starting to come around, but started out really, really cold. Dom has been pretty consistent, but that's Dom. I mean, overall, it's just the lineup has not been even some of the biggest hits have been from Jonathan VR, who is their, their top guy off the bench. So when you look at it, they've been winning in a little bit of more unconventional ways. We know this team has really revamped their starting rotation. And we know that Jacob deGrom is incredible, but this version of Marcus Stroman, the 
early returns on Taiwan Walker. You know, when you look at things like that, the fact that Carrasco's not even back yet, Syndergaard's not even back yet, those are signs that are really promising, and it's early. But they're signs that one through five, this should be a really, really good unit. And the Mets have this rare competitive advantage, I think, in double headers when they have that level of starter on the mound that can pitch almost the entire game. Now, I know every team, you know, usually has a pitcher like that. But when you look at the Mets, they have a handful of guys that have done that. And I think, you know, the last thing I'll note before I hand it over to you, Joe, because I know you want to highlight what's really stood out to you so far is that it it does interest me, and I love to see it, that the Mets have built a team with, you know, Lindor's gold glove at shortstop and Marcus Stroman keeping the ball on the ground at an elite rate, an alarming rate, and you actually see the results come together, right? Like, you're seeing a team that, are they going to be the best in the league defensively? No, but can they be decent? when in recent history they've been really bad absolutely the upgrade behind the plate with James McCann the upgrade at short uh, with Lindor McNeil at second is you know at a minimum a wash from what Cano was I think an upgrade when you go over the full season JD was hurt so you were getting plus defense from Guillaume at third when the DH is back next year I think we'll see more of Dom at first who's a very good glove at first but Pete has held his own it just goes to show you that they have upgraded a lot of areas of this team. And while you, can, you can't take away a ton from a flash in the pan or a hot start, you can take away things that should lead to long-term results this year. Yeah, I, I firmly believe that the rotation is, and I said it all spring, that this is a rotation that, you know, if these guys are healthy and they, they can do their thing, they can make a run deep into the playoffs on the back of the rotation. We we expected all along that the lineup would be, you know, a big-time run-producing lineup, and I still think it's going to be. It's still a very, very talented roster. They just haven't got going yet, and I know Lindor has talked about a bit in some of his press conferences that's like, you know, all the, all the off days. He doesn't want to make an excuse, but just you need the consistency of playing every day and that's how you kind of get out of your funks and i think they're gonna get there pretty soon and i think that once the offense takes off you hope it's not you know the pitching then falls off and now they can't get out of the second or third inning but i i think the pitching's strong enough that will it be the best rotation in baseball which is kind of how they're pitching maybe maybe not but it, it's going to be a very very good one and once the offense catches up it's the reason why a lot of people thought the Mets were going to win 90-something games. And one thing I want to say, the my brand is pretty strong to start the year. Brandon Nimmo, like you said, basically can't get out. And my guy Edwin Diaz. When the you, player's Twitter hates. <laughs> when, when you play Narco, I, I don't know. After every Edwin Diaz save, I just start blasting Narco. It's a great song, and that's all Diaz needed. He didn't have it in 2019. He brought the song back last year, and he's he's all raring to go. So uh, for the Joe brand of defending Nimmo and Diaz all offseason, all spring, uh, I'm, I'm glad to see them off to the right start. 
it's not an easy fight, but you you do do it. And I and I stand firm. I'll say that I don't. I do not waver. I will. I'll take it when something, you know, doesn't go well. When Diaz blows the save, you know, I'll have KFC or I'll have people tweeting me about what's going on. And you know, I I I firmly believe at this point, whatever Edwin Diaz does kind of reflects on me. So if Edwin's good, then. I get, I actually, uh, Tim Riley, who's one of my buddies over at the seven line, every time Edwin Diaz has gotten a save, so he got a couple, he tweets me, hey, at PSL of Flushing, nice save. So I think I'm essentially Edwin Diaz I, or something like that. I don't know. Man, hey, I understand it. You you have gone to bat for him when a lot of people were outright saying, you know, I had just friends of mine at one point of that first year being like, just just cut him. Like just designate him for assignment, and I'm like, you, you gotta at least try to fix the guy, or hope it just comes back. And knock on wood, I mean, the stuff is electric, right? It really is, and and hopefully he can be this upper tier closer this year that the Mets desperately need. And for Diaz, when Lugo's back, you just hope that he he doesn't have to be. He hasn't been overworked at all. Actually, it's been kind of bizarre how the Mets have struggled to find innings this last week since the last time we did a show they've struggled to find innings for their relievers yeah they're not the most part they're not playing games if you don't play games there's no innings <laughs> but, not playing games yeah. and you have outings from starters going seven innings six innings routinely where it's it the bat i'm talking about the back end guys like gaselman you know barnes who i not a not a great appearance i know people are less than thrilled Things like that. And, you know, getting back to Nimmo, it is ridiculous to talk about the, about it this early. And you can't judge either of these guys on the first, you know, whatever, how many games, 10 games of the season. But when you look at it, the Mets quietly face a fascinating decision between the fact that they're not going to pay both Michael Conforto and Brandon Nimmo. And this isn't a conversation of, you know, who gets 200 mil, right? It's not that conversation. The conversation is, can you, if you think, which a lot of people understandably probably think, you can keep Nimmo at a lower number on his extension than what Boris and Conforto are going to run the Mets for internally. Do you, and I know, I, I know I'm being that guy bringing this up. 10 minutes into the second show of the season. But this is what we do on the That's So Mets pod. It's going to become a thing, Joe, that there is going to be people that say, if you can get a lower deal done with Nimmo, who's not a free agent till after 2022, so he's under two years of team control here, where Conforto's a free agent after this year. Do you get the deal done with Nimmo, save a little, you know what your outfield looks like in that spot, and let Conforto walk, and the age is essentially the same, or are you just going to get to this point where, hey, get these two years at everything you can out of Nimmo. He's going to be, I think, a 30-year-old free agent when that time comes and hope that Pete Crow Armstrong is coming along in his development and is going to be your center fielder of the future. Is it not an interesting conversation, Joe? It is an interesting conversation, and the reason it is is because you can't pay everybody. At the end of the day, there's even though Steve Cohen has $15 billion, there's going to be a point in time where they lose good players. You can't keep them all. It's just, just the way it works. 
uh, it's going to be tough. I mean, Nimmo is off to obviously a roaring start. I think you know what you're getting out of Brandon Nimmo. To me, I fully expect him to get on base around the 400 clip. He'll probably end up hitting somewhere in the 270 range. And it's just a matter of what kind of pop does he give you. And you project him as an above-average left fielder going forward. So there's some value there. It's just a matter of what kind of deal does he want. Does he want to stay? That's another thing. Does he want to stay with the Mets? I mean, it's not a foregone conclusion that he's one of the guys that wants to spend his career here. And Conforto, you you certainly have to ride this year, and obviously at this point, ride the year and see how he does. And... You know, you're going to have to go into free agency, compete with other teams, and really just kind of play the market and see if the value lines up. You know, maybe this time next year or, you know, in the winter, the San Francisco Giants who have been saving up money, who's to say they don't offer Michael Conforto $210 million if he has a pretty good year? And you have to be able to draw the line somewhere and say, we won't pay this guy whatever it takes to keep him will pay this. And if he exceeds that, then you let him go. And at that point, you know, you still have another year with Nemo. You could try to talk extension with him then or just ride him to free agency and play the same game. Because more often than not in baseball, and I know in football, which is obviously your, your first sport of covering, extensions are always done beforehand. Like it's, if you don't get an extension beforehand, you go to free agency in the NFL, you're basically leaving. That's, more or less how it works. Baseball, there's not a ton of contracts being done the year before free agency or, or something like that. You're either locked up when you're young or you ride yourself to free agency and then you either stay or go based on what the offers are. So it's a little bit different in that sense. But to me, it, it, it's going to be int- an interesting debate. If Nimmo could somehow, obviously he's not going to hit 400, but if he can hit higher than he has in years past while maintaining his on-base skills. It's going to it's going to be interesting to see how how they want to divvy up that money cuz I don't think you're going to pay both of them to your point. And I just wonder do the Mets start to look at overall roster construction, right? Like you know Lindor is going to be hitting number 2 here for a very long time. And if you wanted to, you could hit him number 3. Bottom line is he's the meat of the lineup kind of hitter. Same with Pete. Same with Dom. Those three guys are going to be here for a while. Like, that's how this is broken down right now. Where, okay, all three have significant pop. We know that. And all three are going to hit in those spots. If you lose Nimmo... And, and I can't believe I'm being the guy that's saying this because Nimmo has frustrated me over the years. But the bottom line is, he is in such an integral role as a leadoff man that gets on base at an alarming rate. Works counts. Tire starters out. I love Michael Conforto, and I'm not picking a side right now. I just brought up the conversation, and I think it's very interesting. But they're just very different players in what they bring to the table. Very different, and what's interesting that you could kind of even circle into this conversation, and you know, I I know we have a question, so we can maybe even circle this into into the convo here, but Marcus Stroman is obviously, as you mentioned, off to a fantastic start. If he has a very awesome year we've basically talked about you keep Cindergard, you let Stroman walk and 
you know, that that's that. Do you keep both pitchers? Let Conforto walk, find a new right fielder, and plan to pay Nimmo a year later. Maybe that's part of I would. maybe that I mean, I'm not saying I would yet, but it's it's a conversation. And I think it's something to consider. Do you keep the rotation intact? Because you still have uh, Carrasco under control. So in theory, you could trot out the same exact rotation in 2022 as you will, let's call it, in June sometime this year. Of uh, You could have the same exact rotation going into next year and just be set set there. But you just would have to figure out what you're doing in the outfield. Yeah, I should run that back, backpedal that too. It depends on what the money looks like for everything. Of course. Because we know yeah. what pitchers what pitchers get in the like if Strowman has this kind of year, which I don't think he's gonna He's, not, he's obviously not yeah. gonna stay on this base. Right. No one can, right. no one will. But Strowman's a, a good player over a stretch of time. Yeah. Like he had a really good two thousand seventeen, was an all star in two thousand nineteen. Strowman's a good player. He was even good as a rookie in two thousand fourteen. So I think the question with Stroman is, you know, he'll, he turns 30, uh, like in a week, like May 1st, I believe. So really soon, which whatever, 30 years old for a pitcher, whatever. I'm not saying that's an issue. I'm just saying that like, is it going to come down to where, you know, you're going to have a, a 29 year old free agent, Syndergaard that is coming back from Tommy John and you just think his best days are ahead of him. I understand, like, Joe, it is interesting, right? If there's a way to keep them both, I do it over anything because it's like, wow. You know for the next three years you're going to have Jacob deGrom, Marcus Stroman, Noah Syndergaard, Carrasco for a year in that, Taiwan Walker in a year in that. Like, that's just incredible. You still have, and you still have David Peterson. And you still have David Peterson. You got guys and, like Matt Allen and JT Ginn coming through the system. And who knows, will the Mets draft another arm that is, you know, yeah. college age? So, like, you could really set yourself up where it gets to the point that David Peterson pitches out of the bullpen because the rotation is so strong. And that's what the Dodgers do. The Dodgers go so deep in the rotation that, you know, they just pitch guys that are big league starters in their bullpen. So that's and that's part of being super competitive is having that almost I don't want to say endless but seemingly endless starting rotation depth. So I think it just it's just an interesting conversation and I know for a fact that Marcus Stroman a lot of people like to get on him on Twitter which it's very weird to me that people have an obsession with getting after a guy who is just overly positive and hates negativity in every sense and i know it's tough it's new york you gotta deal with it but uh people get on them for being seemingly too positive and that that's a little weird to me uh but i know he's beloved by his teammates he's always learning and teaching from everyone you know he he's been open that if he likes the pitch that david peterson throws he's gonna ask for the grip and try to figure it out and he said, you know, pitchers have come to him and said, how do you throw this? So he's a super, super good teammate, motivating, positive presence in the clubhouse, a local guy. You know, if if he's able to pitch to a number two, number three starter level for the whole year, you'd have to heavily consider not letting him walk as a free agent. It would be really hard. And I think that, you know, obviously if things continue 
to go right here for him, why would he want to go anywhere else? I know he's got to get his big payday. I'm just holding everything equal that why would you want to leave? Like, you're from here, great clubhouse. Obviously, the infield defense behind him. Let's hope that keeps up. It's just... Yeah, it's a really interesting conversation with the pitching across the board. And it's good that they're in the spot, that it's there's a lot of different avenues they can go. And it's not like I'm just jumping off the Conforto train right away. I just think personally, like, and I was all Mr. Like, get the extension done, get the extension done. And it seems like there wasn't an incredible amount of effort in the spring. I just think personally, I'm, I have like Boris fatigue where... I just assume the guy is gone if he gets to the open market and for the last dollar. Now, I know Conforto has said before he has the final say in that, and that's not what it'll come down to necessarily. But I, I don't know. Like, it's just you eventually get the fatigue where you're just like, man, there's going to be weeks where Conforto hits four home runs, and I'm going to be absolute Mets fan, typical, like, oh, man, we got to keep this guy. Then there's the two weeks where he, he can't even – get a runner in from third like five times in a row or he mails air mails a, a throw home to the plate and you're just like man like that's where the Boris fatigue kicks in again where I'm like you want 210 million dollars like I have to I have to sit here and listen to this for the next however long and I'm this is me being a fan I get <laughs> man deserves money man deserves to take care of himself all of that it's easy to be streaky in baseball it is what it is but it's just it's just very exhausting, I think, to a point. But on the flip side, Joe, the Mets don't have any answers in corner outfield. That's the other thing, right? Like of the future, you know this as much as anyone. Yeah, no, there is not. There's not anything to look forward to. So if you do let him go, you're gonna have to go external for that corner outfielder. And the free agent market is kind of barren at the position. I mean, it's Conforto and then big drop. So you're not exactly gonna just be able to go. Oh, let Conforto walk and sign insert name here and you'll be fine it would be a, a stark difference uh, as far as Boris fatigue and that you know ultimately Boris Brody Van Wagenen you name whoever's representing people like these guys are just going to the top dollar Boris is just better at getting his guy the top dollar than other agents are so on average players aren't passing up money unless it's unless it's Ozzy Albies unless it's Ozzy Albies which by the way, you know who Ozzy Albee's agent is? Francisco Lindor. And they barely could and... they barely could get Lindor's deal done for three hundred and something million, but he talked Ozzy Albee's into taking let's just call it a, a, a team friendly deal to be nice. Well he also had Craig Kimbrell sit out until June for yeah. an apparent hundred million dollar deal that never came. Yeah. So and Craig Kimbrell's been terrible since. That's the one thing about Boris is he gets his guys his money and their money and sometimes it's earlier like uh garrett cole and those guys signed really early and then sometimes it's into spring but he gets he gets his clients their money so conforto will have to determine what his priorities are and more often than not and if i was a player i i'm not lying my priorities would probably be most money too if you told me that i was getting a ton of more money i'd find a way to like kansas city missouri like, I'd, 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 make, I'd make it happen, man. So to me, you know, he should be, like you said, going for every dollar. And the Mets are capable of paying that if they so choose. You just have to, you just have to find that what's the line on the value. Because they set a line with Springer. 
And they they cited Conforto as you know a big reason for that. Oh, if we paid Springer one fifty plus, we would have struggled to keep Conforto. Made perfect sense. But with Conforto, you also have to set a line. You know, you can't just be like, well, we said that we didn't sign Springer so we could keep Conforto. Thus, we have to keep Conforto regardless of cost. You have to you have to put a valuation on a player at all times. Every player, whether it's a superstar a bench player or something in the middle, there should be a valuation for every player and you basically don't exceed that. Before we get into the questions, Joe, overreaction, overreaction week two. Uh, what's your, your really positive overreaction and your really negative one? My positive overreaction is the Mets have the best rotation in baseball and they, Love it. and they probably don't have their let's call it second and third or fourth best pitcher because they're both still injured or coming back from injury with Syndergaard and Carrasco. So they have the best rotation in baseball and they don't even, and they're not even at full power yet. My negative overreaction is the, the offense may just not be exactly what we thought it would be. um, At least on a consistent level, the, Inability to get runners in in scoring position is maddening. It's it's it is almost impossible to be as terrible as the Mets have been with runners in scoring position. There you go. You, yeah, you, yeah, you kind of. Yeah. That's what I was. Gonna it's go with. it's been yeah. it's been almost it's almost impossible that they've been this bad. So the negative part is maybe their offense is not as quite as good as we thought. But I'm generally a glass half full guy. So I'm looking at it like, well, they keep getting these guys and runners, these runners in scoring position. It's only a matter of time before the luck switches their way. And now all of a sudden they're pumping out seven, eight runs, you know, more routinely. So I, I typically can find a positive spin, but I guess that that would be the negative uh, probably within the lineup there that maybe it's maybe it's not quite what we thought it would, what, what it is. So my over positive reaction, overreaction is that they are seven and four. And a team built on hitting the long ball is not hitting home runs, which means home runs just naturally are going to come. Like Pete Alonso and Francisco Lindor and Michael Conforto have combined for two home runs, and Pete has both of them. Those guys are going to hit probably 30 home runs each, and they're 7-4. and four. So my over-positive reaction is, they are winning without even hitting for power at all. And when that power comes, this team's going to be a force. My overreaction on the negative side is kind of what you were saying. My God, can they get a runner in from third with less than two outs? I don't even need you to hit with runners in scoring position. If there is a guy on third or runners on first and second... With no outs, can you just move guys over? Sack flies, bunts, contact. It's wild, wild. And I know some of the guys are young out there, but not all of them. Like Conforto striking out in these situations, Alonzo striking out in these situations. Even Dom, who's like, you know, nearly perfect in, a, in my eyes, <laughs> has had his moments of like, oh. Can you just move the guys in or over? I mean, the Mets have a mostly. I mean, it's not. It's it's not an old team, but they're not playing any rookies. 
It's all guys that yeah. have been here and done that. So right. they have to be able right. they have to be able to prime. come. They're through. on their prime. Yeah. All of them. They have to be able to come through. And ultimately I think they will. You know, I'm not saying the Mets are gonna end up, you know, leading the league with average with runners in scoring position, but there's no way they could be this bad for the entire season. And hopefully, you know, the the bullpen, you know, they've been able to navigate the bullpen because like you said, the starters are going deep in the game, so they're able to kind of reduce the guys that they use and hold it to Castro and Aaron Loop and Diaz. That's mostly who's pitched. But they there's going to be times when the starter goes four, the starter goes five, and then you need that familia. You need, you know, Jacob Barnes, Gazelman, like these guys that are at the bottom of the bullpen, like they need to be they need to be ready to be used, you know. I had a back and forth with my buddy Danny Abriano over at SNY. Um, the game where Barnes gave up the home run in Colorado on Saturday or whatever when they lost. And he was saying, you know, can't put Barnes into a one-run game. And I'm like, the, the guy hasn't pitched in almost two weeks. At These guys, they, they you, can't, you can't have three pitchers because Trevor Hildenberger just made his Mets debut over the weekend, and he basically was called up at opening day or just after opening day um, when they put Batances on the IL. So he's been here. He just made his first appearance. Gazelman just made his first appearance. Barnes made his second. It's like you need everyone in your bullpen to work. That's what it comes down to. You can't treat every single game. Like, it's not punting the game, but you can't treat every game like a playoff game. This is a marathon. And you need to make sure these guys get work periodically because there's going to be a time when you need them. And when you need them, they can't be so underworked. And then they're not going to give you production. And it's similar conversation to what I've been saying about on the offensive side of the ball, people complaining about VR being in the lineup and Kevin Pillar being in the lineup. And it's like, if, if all you want to do with these guys is have them pinch hit once a week, the day that they do need to play, they're going to go 0 for 4. And then you're going to come. It'll never work. And then you're going to complain that they're going 0 for 4. It's like, these guys need to play. That goes for bullpen guys. And guess what? What it comes down to is Jacob Barnes, if they didn't have a shift, he would have gotten out of that inning. The guy hit a routine double play ball, and Jeff McNeil just wasn't standing where a second baseman stands because of the shift. But you got to get the job done. And if if you don't think he can then get them out of here and bring someone in that you think can from the alternate site or wherever the case may be. So these guys got to work. It's what it comes down to. You can't just say, oh, it's a close game. You could only use Miguel Castro in this spot. Because at some point in time, if you keep pitching Castro, you're going to blow out his arm, and then he's going to be useless come the summer. So you have to play the long game. I know it's frustrating to lose any baseball game, but you, you have when you're Louis Rojas, you have to manage thinking about September. You know, in April, it's not have to win every single day. I know fans hate to hear that, and I certainly don't. I'm not. I don't want them to lose, but yeah, you you can't play to the point of. You know, it's win win or win or die basically in the middle of April. You have to get these guys work. They have to be be effective, and if they're not, then okay, you DFA Jacob Barnes and you call up someone else and you give someone else a shot that's how bullpens work you have your core guys then you have your bottom two to three guys that you know come and go they got a pitch 
I mean, you said it perfectly. And like you said, VR has got to get his at-bats. Uh, Pilar has to get his at-bats. VR just cracks me up, and I, I love VR. I mean, he's had 23... <laughs> he's had 23 plate appearances, and he's struck out nine of them. Yet, his six hits have been huge. He's got three doubles and a triple. I, it's just, he is truly the definition of, like, I'm going for it. There's no, he just gets up there hacking, and I'm fine with that off the bench. Everyday lineup, not what you want. But off the bench, cool. No worries. Yeah, for sure. I I, I love VR. I think he brings a good energy, um, like you said. And he's got pop, too. So, like, some of those doubles and triples, oh, yeah. like, he's going to he's gonna park some off the bench, too. So, I think he's going to end up being a very valuable member of this team. Just like you said, I, I prefer him not to be in the lineup every day. I mean, there's a reason that he didn't get an everyday job this offseason and ended up having to settle for this kind of super utility type of role. But, yeah, I'd be looking to, you know, get him up to pinch hit as often as possible. And then, you know, periodically he gets in the lineup, play third base or play second base because guys are going to get days off and you just need to keep these guys, you know, active. So, like, Al Mora needs to get in there on occasion too. So, like, you, you can't you can't just – it's not MLB The Show, which happy MLB The Show day came out today for everyone that plays that game. But, it, you know, in MLB The Show, like I said, it's not like you could just keep VR and Pilar on the bench until they force you and your franchise to basically sit a guy because his energy level is low. You're like, all right, fine, I'll put in this guy. And then it's a video game and they'll just go hit. They need reps. So you got to get these guys in the lineup. And sometimes that means someone you don't want to sit has to sit. That's life. Yeah, well said. All right, let's get to these questions. So we touched on this a little bit, but let's dive back into it real quick from a pure, you know, yes or no standpoint. Pat Chamberlain asks, if Marcus Stroman keeps this up, could he be a candidate for a big extension? Absolutely. I think it's it's going to get tricky, right? Because nobody, like, nobody pitching at that level is expendable. Let me make that clear. There's just no one pitching at the level. And Stroman will come back down to earth a little bit, but I really do think he's in for a huge year. He's well-rested. He's healthy. He's keeping the ball on the ground. He's got a little more juice on some of his pitches. Like I feel like he's got a little bit more behind it when he needs it for strikeout moments. I just think that it's an interesting conversation, like Joe has said many times, where, I mean, we feel confident DeGrom's going to be here for his career. You got Carrasco under contract next year and Taiwan Walker. So those are three like arms you feel good about next year. And then, of course, Peterson. But you do get into this conversation of, is it Syndergaard or Stroman? I mean, you have to Joe, you have to keep at least one, right? Like, wouldn't you be shocked if both are gone? I would. Yeah, I'd definitely be shocked if both were gone. And I just, and yeah, with, with Stroman, I guess define big extension. I mean, I'm not looking to pay Stroman five years a hundred million dollars um but i think that's what he gets well then good luck to him i guess (laughs) like you you gotta draw a line somewhere like i like him maybe you know if i I was thinking if i could get him for like i don't know 575 i might i might be willing to go that oh done might be willing to go there uh, or 460 i think that math is the same um like 460 with a fifth year option something like that like big big to me like if you're talking 100 million i'm probably out but 
if there's a way to work it out, I certainly would very much like to keep Stroh in Queens. Yeah, no doubt. I, it's just you got to, you know, have a formation in place, uh, you know, have a rotation in place. That's the goal is to have the a core here that you feel confident on the mound, you know, and you're never going to be perfect one through five, but it's keeping that one through three kind of stable. And it'll be a big decision on who they think is that guy. If they keep both of them fun, cool. But it's, it's probably going to come down to a very interesting decision between both of them. So the next one is from Jake Goss. Thoughts on Jaden Hill's possible slide due to Tommy John. Will he fall into a similar situation as JT Ginn, or would the Mets still, still consider him at 10? Well, before I let you take this one away, Joe, in my very uh, loose following of MLB drafts these last couple of years, although it gets a little, a little more focused each year, Guys that have Tommy John at this stage of their draft year usually do not go in the top 15, correct? Yeah. I, I the, the earliest you've I've seen recently was Eric Fetty with the Nationals. I think he went 19, 18 or 19. Um, so I, I, ultimately with Jaden Hill, he's obviously going to slide. And it's going to be a very interesting dynamic with him because comparing him to JT Ginn, I understand it, you know, stuff-wise, pretty similar. The big issue to me was JT Ginn was pitching really well. His stuff was good before he got injured and went down and got to Tommy John. Jaden Hill, his the, your last visions of him on the mound is having an ERA around six, struggling, not pitching well, stuff really not being as good. You know, of course, part of that is probably because he had a torn UCL. <laughs> and was and was pitching through it. But I don't know if he'll necessarily make the type of slide that brings him, you know, to the Mets second round pick. Uh, certainly, if he does, I'm willing to throw roll those dice again and and take my chances. Tommy John is something that people routinely come back from. So I would I would certainly be willing to give it a shot. And I do think JT uh, Jaden Hill will will slide. Ultimately, if he were healthy and didn't get injured, it'd be debatable if Hill would have been there at number 10 where the Mets pick. He probably would have went in the 6 to 11 range, if I had to guess. So now it's, okay, where does he fall to? Does he fall to 22, 25? Does he make it into the supplemental round? Or does he somehow even fall to the second? So, you know, it's certainly something to keep an eye on. But yeah, I think ultimately he's going to slide. I would be beyond stunned if the Mets took a pitcher basically fresh off of an injury at number 10. I'd be beyond shocked. Do you have any feelers on, on what you think, what kind of player they do at 10? Like, do you think it's a, Hey, we need a certain position that can be up here in three years? Nope. Um, or an, or an, you think it could just go anyway? Uh, so I, I follow trends. I know we had, when we had Tommy on, I tried to get him to tell us like what a Mets player is, and you know he he certainly gave us some great information. But of course, he's not going to be too direct. I mean, there's other teams in the league that could potentially listen to it, so I don't I don't blame him at all for that. But the Mets have a type, and you know it's high school bat, college arm. That's pretty routinely what they take in the first round, and they like guys that are up the middle for the most part, as far as uh, defensively. So that's, you know, catcher, shortstop, center field. They like athletes. They like guys with on-base skills. 
and then pitching they look for you know big stuff and delivery and that so yeah I, I think they have a type and if I had to handicap like if I'm looking like if you go look up I know Keith Law I think recently put up like a new big board or whatever maybe you don't look so much at the college hitters at least historically speaking I mean since since Sandy Alderson came in for the first time and Brandon Nimmo was his first draft pick, the Mets have used a first round pick, like a true first round pick. I know people have come back at me with like sandwich round picks. They don't count. They're not first rounders, but first round pick, I think Conforto. So Conforto was the only college bat and they haven't used one on a high school arm. So Ride the trends, man. It's the same scouting department, same front office. So where where I stand today is I would be, and if you're looking at that stuff, I'd be looking at the guys up near the top, you know, call it the top 15 or 20 on someone's public big board and look at high school bats and college arms. And that's probably where the Mets will, will be heavily looking if I had to guess. But don't you think if there was ever a year to and I know you've told the story many times that Conforto fell into their lap to ever take a I hate using this term because it doesn't translate in baseball as much but a high floor closest thing to pro ready or can be rushed through the system corner outfielder this would be the year uh yeah sure I I understand the the question and the perspective but that's just not how the scouting department. You just works. can't draft like yeah, that. Yeah, you right? just can't. Yeah. In baseball, the big league team is not really on your mind. Um, you're drafting for, hey, I need to set up this team for the long term, and if it's a high school outfielder that we think could be an all star, why would we pass on that to just get a guy who we we like, and you know maybe he's you know a big league regular, but not an impact player. Ultimately, you want to try to get impact out of your drafts and. A lot of the Mets, you know, a lot of their roster is full of impact players that they drafted. So I, I'd say st- stick to the plan that you're doing. Don't worry about the big league team. Just get as many good prospects as you can. And ultimately, prospects are used in two ways. To improve the big league team by making it themselves and being impact players. Or by being trade pieces to you know, bring in a premium veteran. I mean, drafting guys like Isaiah Green and Josh Wolf, like the players, they have upside. You draft those guys. If you don't have them, you may not have Francisco Lindor. So prospects are basically to be used as capital in that sense or to be, you know, guys that impact the big league team. So always hunt impact. And I know Tommy said that to us straight up, that they're looking for impact. So always hunt impact. Don't settle for safe and floor not saying go for broke, but, you know, a tiebreaker should be upside for sure. So this next one is from EE, and I don't actually know the answer. I've been trying. It was a very weird announcement when they did announce some kind of details on it. He asked, when are the black jersey shirts and hats going to be available for purchase? Since they said they were coming back, it was like a weird message about the holidays. Have you seen any update at all on this? That's the latest that I've heard is that it's going to be holiday season. So um, maybe November-ish. So unfortunately, it sounds like they won't be, unless they change change how their, their plans. Uh, it looks like we may not 
be able to buy your black Lindor jersey to wear to City Field in July when the Mets wear the black jerseys. Uh, so that's a little weird, but yeah, by all counts, it sounds like they're gunning for the holiday season, which to me means like November-ish. Marketing one-on-one, folks, as somebody that did not go to broadcasting school, but business school, uh, do not, <laughs> when the hype is highest around your product, make sure the supply is there. I don't understand that thought process. I mean, I'm sure people will still be excited in November and December to own the Mets, you know, alternate unis and all kinds of apparel. But if they had a link, like when Boston had this their city edition come out, I mean, I have friends that are Red Sox fans that are like, yeah, I bought a hat, shirt, and jersey, like as soon as the link dropped. And I'm like, well, yeah, Adam, you're a huge fan, and it's. I thought it was a really cool jersey, and I like if the Mets did that, I would have done the same thing. So I, that's not good business. If, if, but if, oh well, if they <laughs> dropped a link tomorrow that said, we don't, and not I, even for everyone, absolutely. if they just say black jerseys, black jerseys, black hats, but you can only get Lindor, Degrom, Alonzo, whatever, name name a couple more star players. Like those are the only ones we're selling those would sell out in 30 seconds. Like, Mets fans have been dying to get these jerseys back. So the minute they go on sale, they get eaten up. Um, so I'm not sure not sure what their logic is, but uh, yeah, hope, hopefully they're willing to make a change there. All right, the last question of episode 39 here from Joseph. Are there any alternate site guys that could make a real impact, or do you think they'll just be injury replacements? So we were talking about a bullpen arm just last week, Joe, um, from the alternate site. For, pitch for the Braves. Oh, a ro- yeah, ridiculous. a, a Rodi's Vizcaino. Yep. Yes, he ac- Vizcaino, he actually, of course. He actually pitched yesterday or the day before because the alternate site in preparation for minor league baseball, the alternate sites are playing each other. So like the Mets played the Red Sox alternate site. And Vizcaino was up to 96 or 97 through a scoreless inning. Um, I certainly think he's a guy that can be, you know, a real piece. So if, you know, this Jacob Barnes thing doesn't work out, you know, you could DFA him, bring up Vizcaino, and I think he could potentially be an upgrade there. And keep an eye on Thomas Sapucky. I mean, he's a guy that for the weekend in Colorado uh, for the doubleheader, he was actually put on the taxi squad. So people didn't really realize it, but he was there. He wasn't going to be, he was only there in the case of like a COVID breakout or whatever, where he would get on the roster, but says something that they had him there. So that's a guy to keep an eye on. I know he had, they had an intra-squad game at the alternate site and he struck out nine guys. So yeah, Zapucky and Vizcaino are the ones that really stand out to me uh, on the pitching side. On the offensive side, it's a little, a little more barren. You know, we've discussed this ad nauseum over the last few months about how there's no upper level offensive talent. But I mean, like a guy like Malik Smith or um, a guy like Khalil Lee, if he's able to step up, maybe he's he's something. But ultimately, I'd say the Im- potential impact is going to come from the pitching side more so than the offensive side of the ball. Mm, yeah, I, I definitely could. They could use a surprise. Uh, arm at some point this season I will say that that's the one thing that if you're like man that's why it just makes you wonder and I know we've we don't have to go too long on this because we've talked about it a million times fingers crossed everyone is healthy at once 
like what is the role for Peterson and we know Lucchese's because we've already kind of seen it before but like what if we do have this world of DeGrom, Stroman, Carrasco, Cindergaard, and Walker is it you know is Peterson become a legitimate weapon out of the bullpen and I mean, you'd think you would hope so, right? Yeah, I mean, if he keeps up his stuff, because Peterson's stuff looked fantastic in his last start. He was up to 95. He was showing the ability to elevate the fastball. He's way more comfortable. Yeah, way more comfortable. And and even in his first start where he struggled, he really only struggled in the first inning. And then he, you know, turned it up and was fine for the rest of the game. I think he was nervous or whatever the case may be. Just struggled at the beginning. He's going to be fine. But if, like you said, if everyone's healthy and good... You could use David Peterson as like a piggyback to a guy like Syndergaard if you want to limit his innings. So maybe Syndergaard goes four and Peterson comes in for three. And then that's, you know, your starter for the day, so to speak. And that's how you get through your first seven innings. But Peterson could absolutely be a guy that you look at as an impactful bullpen arm down the stretch if everyone's healthy and pitching like expected. And then... If something comes up, someone needs to miss a couple starts, you know, like naturally happens, or, you know, there's some struggles, you could just start them. So having that flexibility, I think, would be really big for the Mets. All right. Episode 39 here, Joe. The Mets are hot right now. And hopefully while people are listening to this, they're like, you guys are freaking jinxes. (laughs) But closing thoughts from today's show. Let's. Take care of the Cubbies. They're not getting snowed out again. That's a plus, but they're going to be freezing tonight playing in Chicago. And yeah, the Cubs are right now a last place team. You know, granted again, you know, I'm not going crazy about first, last place, all that doesn't really matter this early in the season. But the Cubs, I don't think are a great overall roster. So hopefully the Mets could continue their their good play and, you know, maybe maybe hit a little more this series. Yeah, that would be nice. Get the bats hot. Help out the starters, help out the bullpen a little bit. You know, it, it's something that does make me laugh is like every time, it, you know, these guys are put into high pressure situations, and I know it's their job, but like Castro, Diaz, Trevor May, it, they're always pitching with their backs against the wall. It's never even like a three run lead. It's like, uh, hey, <laughs> somebody makes a mistake in the field, you're in, you're in big trouble right away. So it is interesting how. Uh, at some point, the lineup just needs to come through and, and build a little cushion, and I do think they will. So it'll be fun to see where this team is at in a week because there will be substantial takeaways as we got to do today. And as always, we're looking forward to talking about it. So episode 39 is in the books. We'll catch you next week. Gearheads know that some projects need so many parts, it feels like you need a whole storage unit just to store them. That's what eBay Motors' 122 million parts are for. Think of it as your virtual parts garage. They've always got the right fitment at the right prices. Use the eBay Motors app or visit ebaymotors.com. Let's ride.